to the Freewheeling Podcast. Hello. <laughs> I have with me, as usual, Lauren Rowney. Lauren, hello. G'day, everyone. Morning. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Jones. This is how we say hi now. G'day. Just, we just say g'day and then we move on. We don't drag it out for five minutes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We're just trying to be better than the Cycling Tips Podcast. <laughs> that, that's We are. What are you talking about? It's true. Of course we are. We are. <laughs> Kaylee's sitting next to me. Eef. That's what makes it even funnier. That's true. <laughs> I wish he could hear us. He can't. But we know he, we know he listens later. We can say anything he we want. to every episode. He, <laughs> no, he missed our episode about the Olympic selection. Oh. To be fair, he was a new dad, so. Oh. <laughs> All right. He gets a pass. He gets a pass for that one. That one only, though. This week's episode is brought to you by Pox Ventral Air Spin, the award-winning helmet that speaks for you when you can't, featuring an NFC medical ID chip that can be uploaded with your medical information to support first responders. The Ventral Air Spin can be read by any smartphone and will let the helmet talk for you if you can't. An NFC chip is virtually weightless, does not need a battery or any significant connectivity. Just open the app and place the phone next to it. All housed within the award-winning Ventral Air, which is extremely light, aerodynamic, and highly ventilated. Learn more about the Ventral Air Spin NFC at the link in the bio and on pogsports.com. For the last time in 2021, hopefully, it won't be the last time. I know. It's... Uh, yeah, the Girodone, it's over. So we had three stages left to talk about. Stage eight, which was a sprint finish won by Lorena Wiebes. Stage nine, which was the second mountaintop stage of the race. And stage 10, we'll start with stage eight. As usual, we have audio diaries from our three lovely diarists, Ruth Winder, Hannah Barnes, and Heidi Franz. Stage eight. One by Lorena Wiebes. I mean, I feel like this one, we don't have, we, there's not a ton to say, except we, she's backed up all of our claims from the last episode where we said that Lorena Wiebes is far and away the best sprinter in the women's peloton right now. Yep. I think um, she was listening to the podcast and was like, I'm just going to really stand in that <laughs> point. That's really, I mean, to, to line up to so many races that have come down to a bunch of sprints and then take them all out like it would be hard to go past her so um obviously dsm was a good move for her in the end and the team has been really around her i'm excited to talk about the latter stages as well with the other dsm rider but yeah she's definitely for me the the standout rider um sprinter at the moment um i feel like later down the line in her career she's going to be doing like what Mark Cavendish is doing now where everyone's going to be like, are you going to beat Mariana Voss's record? And she's going to be like, shut up, stop asking me. (laughs) (laughs) That was not the tangent I thought you were going on. I was like, she's definitely going to say she's going to develop as a writer and she'll become (laughs) more of a classics writer. We'll see like a sort of Lotta Capecchi transition where like when I first learned of Lotta was still when I was racing. And for me in my head, she was a sprinter. She was a good little trackie. Um, she was young and she was a sprinter and definitely put her in that box. But we can see that these riders, as they get older, they just develop into incredible athletes that seem to do it all, which I wish I could do, but sadly, no. <laughs> I mean, I think for Lorena, like, 
I, I would love to see her in more races now. I would love to see her in more of the spring classics next year. We obviously don't know what her situation was this year and why she didn't do more of those races. But I think that she's she's not just a pure sprinter. If she were to have more opportunities to kind of show off in other environments, I think she'd be able to do that. Because as we've said from the um, Fe- Festival Elsa Jacobs, she was climbing so well there. And she'd crashed. So I think it would I think that it would be interesting to see her in more races next year. I hope that we get to. And the the later part of this year. But yeah, to me I'm I'm just really excited about how how what her presence will mean for kind of the sprinters in the Peloton right now. I mean, there's no other riders that are really that can kind of stand up to her as far as being sprinters. Emma Norsgaard's not a pure sprinter. Loda Kopecky's not a pure sprinter. Marianne Voss isn't a pure sprinter. There's basically none. And then you kind of have a trickle down of riders that are really good sprinters, but kind of always come third to fifth, like Lisa Brenauer, for example. And I think Lorena Weebus, you know, she's kind of setting the bar and People are going to want to beat her because bike racing. So maybe this means Emma Norsgaard works on her sprint a little bit more and we get to see her more in, in the latter parts of kind of the races like like this. I mean, she's still she came second to Lorena on the on stage eight, it, but by like a full bike length, like Lorena Weebus won that sprint by you could fit a human in into the space where there was between her and Emma Norsgaard. It was a fast sprint, too. It was like a downhill sprint. Yeah. Should we hear really quick yeah. from Hannah Barnes? Hey, so just got back to my room after dinner, um, which was good. I mean, chicken and pasta, but very good chicken and pasta, so I can't complain. Um, yeah, stage eight was a flat stage. Um, we did, I think, probably 90K from A to B, and then two laps of a, of a circuit. Um yeah, it was kind of a day of a lot of attacking and then a lull in the peloton for probably 20 or 30k. Um, and then when the, the solo rider got about three, a bit over three minutes, a um, couple of teams started chasing, the the two major sprint teams, I guess, started chasing. And from there on in, it was just, yeah, riding pretty hard to the, to the finish line. Um, yeah, it was a pretty hectic finish, actually. It was a lot of nerves. Um Unfortunately, it was just a crash and then a, quite a, a dodgy, tricky corner in a village, about three and a half K to go, which caused, yeah, our team especially, I guess, to get lost and we weren't really able to make those spaces up again, which is unfortunate. But yeah, we're going into tomorrow. It's going to be a hard day. I think we've got 120K with a six and a half K climb and in the middle and then a 13 and a half K to the, to the finish with around 8% average apparently, which yeah, it's pretty nasty, but yeah, we're looking, we're looking forward to it. The, the weather's pretty nice, so we can't complain and yeah, no more hotel transfers, two nights in the same hotel, which is a bit of a change after changing hotel every day this week, but yeah, all good and looking forward to the weekend. All right, moving on to stage nine, second mountaintop stage of the race. This is a tricky one. This is a little bit of a tricky one. So 
Amy's facial expression says it all. None of you can see it, but I, she's like, I don't know what face I was doing. So, God, Ashley, it's got a mind of its own. <laughs> Ashley Mullen Fascio won the race. Her first ever Girodonna stage win. She's never won a stage. She's been on 13 podiums. She's been second in the overall, fourth in the overall, twice. She's always been up there at this race and has never won a stage. And she finally won a stage on Saturday. The only kind of uh, like sour taste is that Demi Volling and Anna Vandebregen went 2-3. So for the second time in the race and the for the second time in the race, SD Works swept the podium. And for the third time, they took the top two spots. <laughs> Uh, which we'll get to. I think we can talk about SD Works at the end of at the end of the discussion. We talk about the general classification, but I think if you kind of pull out just you know Ashley's ride, really, really incredible for her to finally get this stage win. I mean, that's that's been eleven years that she's been chasing a stage win, and she's finally got it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like she she's just gone. From every stage, confidence has just built and built and built. I guess with that really hard first mountaintop finish where Anna won and she she got second, that gave her the confidence to know that she actually is climbing extremely well. And like you said, Abby, she's always been up there but never been able to crack a win. It must be an incredible feeling to do that. And like we've said, winning a stage at the Giro Donna, Giro Rosa, the Giro. Whatever the it, hell it's is called. special. Whatever it is, like, it is a special thing that you put down, you know, in your memory and you always you always remember it, that you won a stage. And um, the way she won it was was awesome. Like, a mountaintop finish of the Giro Rosa. And I just want to say that, like, I think it's so worth mentioning how incredible Elisa Longo Borghini has been this tour because from the get-go she wasn't feeling great, you know, that first mountaintop Finish stage two was a horrible day for her. And then she's just persevered this whole tour. We've seen her in multiple breaks on social media, just having a good time with her team and making the most of it. And she had a real crack that day, but unfortunately just didn't have the legs. Yeah. I was also really impressed, well, throughout, but on that stage in particular with Marta Cavalli. She, yeah, coming fourth behind... Like, she's the best of the rest, which sounds like I'm putting her down there, but it's like SD works were obviously unbeatable, but she she put a, she put up a good fight against Anna and Demi there on the climb. She's, considering and, that she's a sprinter and not a climber, I mean, she's quote-unquote yeah. a sprinter. There's no such thing as specialization in women's racing, really. But she's she's been a sprinter in the past, She's kind of like a punchy classics rider. So considering that, her mm. ride on stage on stage nine was incredible. Really incredible. And stage two. Yeah. Right? I mean, the she filled the same spot. No, she was a, she's definitely one of the standout riders from from the Giro Rosa. Like last year we had those young riders like um Michaela Harvey, and I think it was Neem Fisher Black last year that were just just phenomenal um and then this year definitely i agree with you amy marta cavalli was just on form and watching her climb with with anna and demi was was really cool but do you know what's crazy so i 
correct me if I'm wrong, but in the men's, like in the tour and stuff, like the Young Rider jersey, is it 25, the limit for it? Yes. But so then it's 23 for the women in the duo because she's only 23, but she didn't qualify for the Young Rider classification. Because if you look at it. Women peak later, wouldn't they? Yeah, I know. It's daft. So like um, Neve Fisher-Black, I think, took the Young Riders jersey. And, but Mars Cavalli was, I believe, sixth overall. So like she, being 23, like she would have taken it, but no, apparently that's too old. That's uh, that's actually really weird. I did not yeah. notice that. Hmm. I mean, I always knew it was U23 because, I mean, in the men's, it's interesting because in the, the men's, um, in men's racing, there's a U under 23 category. So why at the Tour de France is it 25 then? It's just an old tradition, I guess, that's never sort of changed. I think for um, for stage nine, like some of the major taking takings away from it is, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Elisa Longborghini and also Lizzie Dagnan both rode super well. Like Lizzie finished fifth on the stage on a massive climb. Are you laughing at Mylar? Because she's just standing I can there. see her staring at the ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she finished fifth on the stage, which is she's not a she's not a pure climber. She's she's not great on those really long climbs. And she was still up there. She was still she still rode incredibly well. And I think for Lizzie and Eliza and Trek in general, they're probably coming out of the Giro, you know, not super stoked on the way that it went after the TTT, but going into the Olympics for Lizzie and Eliza, given how they rode on, you know, the final couple stages and, and the whole race in general, I, I'm re I'm really excited to be, to see Eliza specifically at the Olympics. I'm excited for mm -hmm. Lizzie, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. I think she has just been building, building, building all year has had, you know, some illness and everything, but like if there's one athlete who can pull it together before a huge competition, it's Lizzie Dignan. And like I said before on the previous episode, she's very goal specific. So she'll have only two, three massive goals in a year. And the Olympics is that one, you know, she got silver in London and then Rio didn't sort of go her way. She had a lot of personal issues leading up to that race with family health so it was a very difficult period in her life and now she's in a good place and for her to be climbing like she was going into Tokyo and she's fast too she's sprinting well we saw that so for, for me she's in better condition than what Elisa is going into the race better condition than her results would suggest I think and she just looks good I, I'm very keen to see what happens um, at the Olympic Games. <laughs> she seemed, she also seemed like really relaxed, like really confident. I mean, any, everything that was coming out of that team's social media was just like good vibes. Like they looked like they were having so much fun. Like they maybe weren't getting the results that they came for, but like they looked like they were just like apparently having a laugh every day. Ellen Van Dyke kept requesting that song that's like, don't worry about a thing she kept requesting that song on the bus like all the time which just cracks me up like a dutch like a, a massive dutch woman like she's not massive but she's really tall 
like just obsessed, Bob Marley. obsessed with this Bob Marley song. <laughs> Cracks me up. That's great. Oh, man. Oh. Um, so before we move on to stage 10, let's hear really quick from Hannah Barnes. Oh, we're on to day nine of the duo. And um, yeah, like we were expecting today was hard. Um, it had a pretty hard climb 80k in, um, which split the peloton up quite dramatically. But in the valley road, it, it kind of came back together. And with Elise, <clears throat> Elise Longaborghini and Ashley Mormon at the road, it was, yeah, just about trying to yeah, limit the gap, I guess. But it was it was quite slow in the valley um, leading up to the climb. But yeah, with the climb being 13k long, it was no no one really wanted to take it up apart from SD Works, just because they didn't really have the numbers to be able to to chase and also be there to help in the climb. But yeah, it was. If you can look at the results and the time gaps, you can tell how hard the climb was. Um, it just got steeper and steeper and steeper as we kept going. I think yeah, 13k, eight percent. Um, with a few downhill pitches in there too so yeah it was pretty hard one but yeah all fed up and ready to go for tomorrow's last day um it's a couple of laps with a few climbs in there too so yeah looking at previous stage tens it could be a breakaway day just for riders that are still got some energy left and motivated to to finish with a bang um but yeah looking forward to it just watching some Wimbledon doubles finals to to see me off for the day for the day, and yeah, looking forward to tomorrow and one last day. Ruth Winder. Hello from the second to last day of the Giro. Um, oof, climbing today, and I personally just try to help Lizzie stay in good position and pace the first longer climb that we did. Um, as much as I could and then Elisa put in a good attack trying to go for the stage win and it was really stronger in a moment Picasso stayed away um, and then I don't really know exactly what happened actually coming to the finish because uh, yeah I was very dropped but I know that Lizzie got fifth so and Ashley won so I assume that at some point Elisa got dropped from Ashley and then Demi and Vanderbregen just, yeah, was super, super strong, as we already know, and came second and third. And then Lizzie's super strong ride on the climb to finish fifth for sure. Um, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, I came in off the back. The, f- the beginning was actually pretty active. Lots of people were trying to get breakaways, but apparently uh, SD Works didn't really want a track rider in there so they were just closing everything down and stopping it from going which was a little bit annoying would have been nice to get a head start on the climb yeah so tomorrow i think we do a kind of a circuit with a bit of a hill in it i think uh i don't actually know for sure i need to check the bible i'm just going one day at a time and it's the last day so I would say hopefully some gelato, but truthfully I've already had gelato. Last night's dinner was super good, and it was my birthday last night, and I got cake. I had like three pieces of cake, and but the cake last night was so good. I kind of hope we just have that for dessert again tonight. But either way, I know we're going to a nice hotel and gonna have a relaxing evening, and that'll be nice. Um, yeah. So last day tomorrow, everybody's in a good, good spirits here with our team. Maybe not 
the best results we have been hoping for so far. I mean, we did win the team time trial, so we have had a win. And then I think just, yeah, Lizzie's in fourth in GC, which is great. Um, but obviously we came came going a bit more for the podium um, spots and there's big time gaps between everybody um, those top three and four so yeah we'll give it a good go but the podium is looking like it might be hard to reach right now um, but yeah okay I'll uh, be back tomorrow for the last the last report alright so before we move on to stage 10 let's we're going to listen to Heidi Franz uh, audio diary where she talks a little bit about bullying in the Gruppetto. Um, she mentioned it on her Twitter, which then went viral within the cycling community. So let's, uh, let's listen to Heidi real quick. Queen stage is over and I am so glad that it's over. Uh, it was a super, Super hard and super hot day. And uh, for the second day in a row, um, once again, only one Italian at a time was allowed to be in the breakaway. <laughs> no matter how hard I tried, uh, and even in some really good moves, um, nothing nothing was going. And only, only one Italian at a time, every couple minutes. <laughs> was allowed to leave uh which was really annoying but um it was another another day and another chance to um just really try to ride together as a team and um and yeah we had some really some more really good moments today which was great um leading into some of the super windy sections uh the wind was a lot stronger today and uh we needed to be alert um, at all times, especially in some of the fast tailwind sections and um, and crosswind sections as well, uh, going through some of these crazy towns before the um, first uh, Cat 2 climb of the day. And I pretty much knew that I wasn't going to get over the Cat 2 climb with the Peloton unless, uh, yeah, I just, I, I knew I wasn't, wasn't having uh that good of a day and um unfortunately yeah that meant Clara um was isolated but with uh my teammate Sarah Poitevin who is always just so strong and reliable and wonderful and uh yeah so over the cat two climb that's kind of where my day um ended but it was also it didn't end because <laughs> it just kept going on and on and on um and uh, I was with my my teammate Katie for the rest of the day, uh, just trying to make it to the finish. And um, turns out that was a lot harder mentally uh, than I would have liked uh, because in our Gruppetto, which unfortunately was just full of all of the Italians, which just means that everyone is very loud and talking all the time. Um, and when you're at that point in the day, when you're really, really tired and just want it to be over you really just don't want people jabbing and blabbing in your ear all the time and to make it even more fun um there yeah there was some really uncool uh bullying and mocking going on in our groupetto um which was largely directed at me and 
um, and some at my teammate Katie and uh, by a particular Italian. And she kind of made all the other Italians laugh and go along with it. And it was really uncool um, and really unfortunate. And especially on day nine of the Giro when everyone is really on their limit and on the edge and you're already suffering a lot and you just need to make it through the day. So, um, yeah, so I really hope that doesn't happen again. Uh, that's a lot of motivation for me to not end up in that particular Gruppetto ever again in my life. <laughs> so fingers crossed <laughs> for that. And yeah, um, there's no place for just being mean in the sport when it's completely unnecessary and uncalled for. So yeah, hope, hope that doesn't happen again. My goodness, I completely forgot to add <laughs> to the roughness of the day. Um, Clara Koppenberg also crashed um, on the descent from the Cat 2 climb before the Cat 1 climb, and she has unfortunately broken her shoulder um, t and has, yeah, left the race. So, man, it was a really rough day, and I... We're, we're down to three, uh, Katie, Klaus, and Sarah Boydevin and I. And you know what? Tomorrow's the last day. And if I felt empty today, well, we'll see what tomorrow brings. Um, but I'm sure as hell going to leave everything out there. <laughs> so got to bring it home. So since that audio, audio diary was recorded and Heidi tweeted about being bullied in the group pedo. She's she, there was a ton of attention on it. First of all, on Twitter, um, a lot of people messaged me from Velo club asking me if, if she was okay, asking about her well being, which just another reason that I, I love the Velo club. <laughs> um, but since that happened, the writer in question that, that, uh, Heidi was referring to has apologized multiple times. And, um, Heidi's kind of not like she can't, well, she can't ever tw take back a tweet, but I think that there's, you know, more to the story. I mean, look, I mean, like she might have apologized, but she's still, but she has a history of it. I don't, I don't care if she's apologized. She's been called out only because it's gone viral on social media and everyone knows it was her who was in that group header. I'm sure of it. And that, like, that's for me is so sad. I've spent so much time, particularly in the Giro Rosa um, Gruppetto, and the vibe is so important there um, because you are just trying to get through it. And normally it's quite good. I think in my last year I was, like, the leader of the Gruppetto, which says something. <laughs> what I think it's important for us to kind of discuss is just the difference in mentality when it comes to racing in Europe and, and racing anywhere else like Australia or the U S I think it's just, or, or racing in Europe for, for like an American or a Brit or an Australian versus a, a European rider. Cause it's, it's just so different. And there's like all these unwritten rules that you just, you don't know about. And it was Heidi's first ever Giro Donne and they had just a terrible run of stuff happen. I mean, they had, uh, Holly Breck finished outside the time limit on the TT, which is why Heidi was so worried about the time cut on stage nine. They had then Clara Koppenberg crashed on stage nine and broke a, a ton of bones. 
So I think the combination of, you know, they were losing riders left and right. She was really worried about the time cut, which I think is like not given what happened in the ITT. I don't think it's that crazy of a thing to be worried about. But I think it's just for me, it's a huge bummer that Heidi had to go through this and her first ever Girodone, which is a race that as much as we like truly just can't have, don't have anything nice to say about this race. The riders still, it just holds a special place in the riders hearts because of what it means. And I'm, my heart breaks for Heidi that she, that she had to go through this because I know Heidi I've been, I was teammates with Heidi for multiple years and she is just such a kind individual who, she takes things very to heart. So she would have really, the reason she tweeted about it is because it really hurt. And I think that that's totally valid. Yeah. I mean, come, being an Australian, I've definitely copped my fair share of bullying. Um, never in the gruppetto, like I was saying, um, offline, uh, which is really sad for me because the Giro is such a hard race. And like, particularly when it's your first race, first grand tour first year donna um this behavior just isn't warranted and like i'm quite i'm well aware of the rider and her history that was a bully so i'm more than happy to talk about it because a very good friend of mine was bullied by the same rider and it's just bullshit um so i think heidi doesn't have to apologize for anything putting something on twitter and the reaction that it got just yeah, reiterates bullying in the workplace is just shouldn't be tolerated. And the group pedo is actually like, you know, it it can be a really hard place to be in. Sometimes you don't think you're going to be there. Um, and then you're in this situation where you're completely out of the race. You could even be suffering in the group pedo because you're just not having a good time. So morale is really important. And from my experience, it was usually one person who was sort of the leader of the Gruppetto and would call the Gruppetto when it was like time to sort of congregate together. And then it was like communication and generally a fun time just to get to the finish because sometimes those Gruppettos form so early in a stage and you've got to get over multiple hills and mountains all together. And I can understand the anxiety coming from her. She's like one day away from finishing a first grand tour and, yeah, she's had teammates time cut. Um, it is stressful. I had it myself once. And, actually, I remember, I think it was it, that really well put together tour in 2012 in the USA where it was like 100,000 up for grabs that Lululemon swept the podium for. But Ali Stalker, myself, and Amelia Farland got time cut the day before the most important stage for our team three team members out because people were way too relaxed in the group header. And they're like, no, 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 we'll make the time cut. But hadn't anticipated how fast the front rider was going and we got cut and it sucked. Never felt so bad. Ali was like in tears and there was just this overwhelming guilt. So yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. I mean, I think like obviously Heidi as one of our audio diarists, uh, it's worth including um and it's just yeah there's no place for it there's no place for it there's it's cycling is hard enough 
without being bullied by the riders you're you're riding with I do, I will throw in there, and this is just from personal experience, that when you are from America or Australia, and I'll throw in New Zealand now because I've got a lot more riders, the tendency to get bullied is far greater than if you're from Europe. And that's just because, you know, you, you're coming over from smaller pelotons. Um, it's a different style of racing, like you said, Abby, in the US and Australia, and you're just learning to find your feet here. And then on top of that, you're far away from, from home. So it's not like if you have a shit Giro Rosa, you go back to your family and, like, you can sort of just cry it out. It's just like you go back to your apartment, wherever that may be in Europe, and it's just shit. So It's actually, yeah. it's, like, freakishly common to get bullied as an American in the European Peloton. If, if you're wearing a national team jersey, like every single time I've ever raced for the national team, granted not that many times, but it's pretty common if you're a not well-known rider riding on the national team to get shoved around a lot in the Peloton, like <laughs> yes. a lot. And like, it would never happen to yeah. Ruth Winder because even when she's racing for the national team, everyone knows who she is, right? But if you're me racing on the national team, no one knows who I am and they feel like it's like a show of dominance to kind of shove shove the riders around, but it also happens for, you know, all the all the smaller teams that are that are wearing jerseys that aren't well known. It happens to them too. So it's not like it's just Americans and stuff. There there's definitely like a culture of of pushing around in the peloton that that happens a lot and I think it's especially with riders who it's just, it's done by riders who are on, you know, teams, higher, higher up teams that aren't the biggest teams. It's like the second, second tier kind of teams that I don't know. I don't know. Some kind of, we can move on, but yeah, we can move no, on. No, it's worth talking about. Yeah. And like, definitely now that I'm mentoring a rider who, who's on a smaller team, when we, we talk a lot about positioning and, having confidence and holding your line and this and that. And it's one thing that she does bring up quite often is that, you know, they'll look at her and be like, oh, no, you're not meant to be here. Like, you're not from one of the bigger teams. But it's just persistence to... Okay, so moving on, stage 10, final stage. The First of all, if the leader of the race is in the quote-unquote breakaway, is it a breakaway or is it a selection? I, I think it's a selection. I think if the pink jersey is up the road, it's not a breakaway. What do you guys think? Or is it that nobody can stop her anyway? So... <laughs> She just She's broken like, away into the selection. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so the final stage was won by a group of four that rode to the line together. Stage won by Corinne Rivera, which this is huge. This is her first win since 2019. She's an incredible, incredible rider. The only American, men or women, to have ever won the Tour of Flanders. She's going to the Olympics we talked about it on the Olympic pod that she's she's not had the results to back the selection, but this this showing at this Giro backs her Olympic selection. And what's more important than Mylar? What are you doing? <laughs> what's more important? What's a more important time to show that you've that you, the right choice has been made than two weeks before the race. I mean, she she made that selection with Lizzie Dagnan, uh, uh, Elise Shabby, and Anna Vanderbregen. And 
she she won. She won the sprint. She's riding incredibly well. She rode well all week. She was basically Lorena Weebus' last last woman standing in the sprints and led her out. And when she got to go for the sprint on stage, the stage that that she she got to sprint for DSM, um, stage six was it? I think she. The only I I still think that she had a better shot of winning if Lorena hadn't pulled off so early. But regardless of that, I mean, it's amazing that Corinne won this stage for her form. But even more kind of touching is the story behind it. Uh, she said in the post-race interview that she had an angel on her shoulder, and that is because her, her father passed away in March from COVID-19, and it was a long time that he was in the hospital. It was a really long, drawn-out process where they thought he was getting better, and then things took a turn for the worse. And, and that's why she wasn't at the spring classics. And, um, and she was nearly in tears in the post-race interview. And I think for her, this victory is probably just means so much, even though she's won so many things in her career, because she's not had a great couple of seasons. People are critical of her selection for the Olympics the the person who arbitrated the Olympic selection specifically arbitrated for Corinne's spot. And I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm really, really excited about how she's riding right now in this victory. It's just a testament to her character. She's just incredible. Like to, to lose your father in March this year and then, you know, to come out and do this, like, yeah, I, I don't really have the words for it. It's very emotional. Um, for me, it was just the most beautiful victory. And the way she did it, like I was saying on our group chat, it was just such a classy win. Like not just winning a bunch finish, which in itself it is a special thing, but just with that selection at the end of the duo, like just really icing on the cake. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for her going into the Olympics. And I think the USA needs to look at who their leader is, to be honest. Um, she, she's got a lot of fire in the belly. And anyone who knows Corinne knows she's always had that. Um, so I'm just really, really happy for her. I think it was definitely the, the best win for me in the Giro Rosa. Donna. I agree. Number one win in the entire race, for sure. Maybe topped only by Mariana Voss's win on stage three. Yeah. Again, a dedication to to a very special person who yeah, another, lost their life. So exactly. Another emotional. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Corinne and her dad were so close. Um he was her first coach. He went to all of her races growing up. And so I think it's just her the best way for her to honor him and she's doing it is just to ride her heart out and i mean i think it's i love it love to see it you guys have said everything i don't need to add anything (laughs) (laughs) should we before we kind of wrap wrap up our giradonna uh discussion we got to talk about we got to talk about the overall because SD Works swept the general classification. Top three, uh, Anna Vandebregen won by a minute and 43 seconds over Ashley Moen Passio with Demi Vollering in third. And uh, Lizzie Dagnan fourth. I mean, a really good ride for Lizzie Dagnan to take fourth overall. Six, six 
minutes and 39 seconds down. So like a massive, massive gap there. And then Mavi Garcia in fifth, Marta Cavalli in sixth, Juliet Labou in seventh, which is a pretty, pretty decent ride given that she's about to go to the Olympics, but, but also not, we don't have to, we don't have to get into the French selection again. I think we covered it before, but I think the, the what we do need to talk about is just SD works coming out of coming out of this Giro because it's not like they didn't have the best teams in the world competing against them. They, this isn't just like a small tour somewhere random in Europe. It's still, regardless of its step down in status, it's still the Giro Donne, and they demolished this race. I mean. I don't know how much of a difference Anamique being there would have made. She maybe would have just slotted into second and Ashley would have taken third overall. But, I mean, we'll never know, obviously. We can only speculate. But it's just, I I don't know what possibly could have done, but it been done to break up. I think SCR it was just like a combination of factors. Like, yeah, they're, they're, they're really dominant anyway. But I think... Like maybe, yeah, maybe Anamit wouldn't have made a huge difference, but she would have given them a run for their money. And there's a few riders that would have done that who either sat the race out or had like crashes or like other problems at the start of the race. And then the course design, we've spoken about this, but I don't think that helped matters either. Like there was no, nowhere like once Anna had put in that dominant ride on the second stage, there was no going back, like the three of them even on that second stage. And then all that happened was that they cemented it on the queen stage, on stage nine. Like they just made it even more like, yeah, I don't know. I just think like there's a few, like maybe they would have won it. I don't think we could pro- we can imagine that Anna wouldn't have taken it it seems like if she goes to a race and she wants to win, then she's going to win. Um, but maybe we wouldn't have seen such dominance from all three riders on GC if there had been a more challenges. So like, you know, Cecilia Ludwig crashing in the TTT, Elisa not having the form in the first few stages that she probably would have had. I don't know what actually happened, but she obviously she seemed to like ride into the race later on but it was too late um like yeah Cassia and Anamique might have made a bit of a difference but yeah it's like when the GC is done and dusted with like three riders from the same team on stage two you have to look at both the rest of the peloton but more importantly like the race itself Mm, and like like I saw on Twitter, this is true. Th- this is not the first time this has happened. And it was with Rabobank. I remember being at that Giro. They were just standout. They won so many of the stages. And, you know, you had Pauline, you had Anna, you had Marion Voss when she she was like the GC contender. And not to mention just those riders, but Lucinda Brand was climbing like an absolute boss. And it was just like this dominant team that, you know, yeah, there's not much you can do about it. And I think we've spoken about it this whole year. SD Works have the standout climbing team. So if you take all your best climbers 
of course, to the Giro, what, what can we expect is, is this. And we've seen like Ineos do it in the men's peloton for years. I mean, the past couple have been an exception. But, um, you know, it's just a similar sort of situation if we think about it like that. It's just a shame, like you're saying, Amy, how we discussed uh, the course design could have been done a little bit differently. I would have liked to have seen the, the mountains come a little bit later in the race. And then I think the last stage was a great finale, actually. But, um, yeah, it just is what it is. And the only takeaway point is, yeah, they have the best climbers in the world at the moment. There were some factors to be thrown in there, like the fact Anamik wasn't there, Cassia wasn't there, Elisa Longo-Borghini wasn't um, in the shape she's been before. Even Amanda Spratt, who's been two times on the podium, wasn't in the form she's been in before. So um, th- I think that's all we can say about it is SD Works just doing their thing. I I think also how how many stage races do we have in the women's world tour? How many stage races with climbs like this do we have in the women's world tour? Two, this one and Vuelta Albergos had a massive climb, but that's it. That Those are the only climbing races that we have in the women's world tour. So they are dominant at this, but, and yes, they win a lot at other stuff, but they didn't, it's not like they swept all the spring classics. They didn't, they haven't like swept every single race like this. This is kind of a once in a season type thing, once in a every five season type thing that they are just better. They're a team that's better designed for a race like this. And the other teams don't have to cater to this kind of race because it only happens once a year. And maybe we'll see teams kind of pick up different styles of riders in the transfer period with the Tour de France coming and the potential for more climbing stage races in the future. But for now, I think that they are the only team with the numbers to kind of do something like this and the other teams yes they're probably not stoked that sd works swept the gc podium at the giordana <clears throat> they don't have any reason to stack their teams with climbers right well i mean to be fair demi bollering not really a climber neither is on van bluten uh anna van Bregen. and i think ashton passio is pretty a pretty pure climber not a bad tt either but the other teams you know they their 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 teams are full of riders that are a more diverse group of types of riders you know i think it's not i don't i don't look at this and say se works is far and away the best team in the women's peloton no one else can beat them that's not how i see this i just see it as they prepared for this race better than anyone else they came in with their best riders more so than most of the other teams and they had good luck and the course suited them. So it is, I agree, Amy, it's a combination of many, many factors, but I don't think that this is like, oh shit, women's cycling is over because- No, and also coming back to what you're saying about climbers, it's the same with, it's just the women's peloton. Like, you know, in the men's peloton, it's very easy to pigeonhole people and say, you're a climber, you're a sprinter, you're a classics rider, you're a domestique. But actually in the women's peloton, you can be a rider who fulfills every one of those- roles within a team because that's just how we're structured Mm -hmm. and mostly speaking we don't have 25 to 30 riders no never 
on a women's team. So just in general, that's why I find, and it's bias, the female peloton more impressive is the f- pure fact that you look at an Emma Norsgaard who, who can actually climb, she can sprint, she can time trial. Same as Lotta Kopecky. Anna van der Breggen, she can be really quick at a finish too. I mean, she won the Olympic Games against Emma Johansson, who used to place in bunch finishes. So that's the thing uh, about women's cycling is, generally speaking, they're just fantastic all-rounders who can do a little bit of everything. And Lizzie Dignan, again, proved that in um, in this race. Great she was climbing like an absolute boss and then also sprinting very well. She's always sprinted well, so... That's my takeaway from it. <laughs> All right. Should we wrap up the Giordana conversation? I think we should just, I'm, we're going to just not talk about the live coverage. Cause I think that we have gone, we've banged on about it a lot. And I think we should just let sleeping dogs lie. Basically if we get started, we won't stop. So exactly. We're, we're already at like a 45 minute podcast. I think if we, uh, if we just, if we start talking about the live coverage, this is going to be an hour and a half long podcast. Yeah. And we're just going to not, <laughs> uh, I think every, everyone knows. And how everyone we feels feel, the same. So. The reaction for all the people who listen and are on Twitter, it's just been the same thing. So it's not like we're, we're harping on about exactly. something that isn't an issue. No, no, it's no, not no. new news. <laughs> Let's hear from Ruth Winder, her very last audio diary. Unfortunately, she crashed out of the last stage, but is back in Girona and on the mend and getting ready for Tokyo. So let's hear from Ruth and we'll move on. Hey, from my last audio diary of the CS Giro, unfortunately, it's from the bus um, much before the race is finished because I crashed out on the descent and my knee was quite sore. I tried to keep riding, but then after one of the climbs, it was just getting worse and worse. And I thought it's just not worth it today to push through as and which is a huge bummer because it was a super fun race and my legs were actually feeling pretty good for it being day 10 um but yeah super fun circuit and really bummed but I think I think I'm okay I just have really bashed my knee pretty hard and like I said it was just getting more and more painful the more I was pedaling so I just wanted to call it a day and, and Ellen my teammate Ellen was super helpful and just saying it's not worth it Ruth you know you have to recover it's the last day so listen to her but luckily too um uh Lucinda and Lizzie were already up in the break and Eliza was in another group behind and the girls were racing super strong uh Lizzie finished second on the day congratulations to Corinne um of course I would have loved for for Lizzie to take the win but fellow American and my uh Olympic teammate in two weeks is winning a stage is also um pretty cool to see um yeah so yeah a good i think a good last day for the team i got to see some of it on the tv there at the end last couple k's uh, i think that they'll be pretty happy i know lizzie will be kicking herself uh, for not winning but hopefully happy with the way they raced and and all of that so yeah uh hopefully i will be fine and that's all i've got for this year's Giro. All right, so usually we don't talk about men's cycling, but we've been speaking internally about how amazing Lachlan Morton's ride alt tour is. And 
as we're recording this on Tuesday morning at 9.24 a.m., he's already finished. He's he's in Paris. He's done. He's popping champagne on the Champs-Élysées. I think you have to, like, include that photo in the, the show notes, but I'm sure people have probably seen. I just, I can't believe he's already in Paris. Um, I was looking at the article that Ian wrote about it, I think it was two days ago, and just uh, the amount of climbing. He did 13 extra cold tourmalets than the peloton just to give people an idea of how much higher he climbed and further he rode exactly that that for me is what has been quite impressive um and the fact he's raised over half a million aussie dollars towards well bicycle relief so um epic man (laughs) and in birkenstocks too they need to sponsor him or something. They need to like Unbelievable. I think they're Rafa sandals. I think they're, oh, they're Rafa. They? I think they're sponsor correct. Oh, yeah, of, I, course. of course. I thought he was wearing books. I don't know. I can't it's hard to tell, but I'm sure that <laughs> someone on the internet can figure it out. Uh, in the same in the same kind of vein line as uh Lachlan's charity charity ride <laughs> for World Bicycle Relief. Uh, we've mentioned multiple times the Black Sheep kit that proceeds go to the Cyclist Alliance. It's uh, in partnership with Cycling Tips and and Black Sheep. Amazing kit, amazing cause. We cannot speak enough good about the Cyclist Alliance and what they're doing for women cycling, what they're doing for cycling in general. So please, please, please check out that kit. Get the jersey, get just the bibs, get you know, nothing at all, but donate to the cyclist Alliance. That's cool too. But we, we really, it's very, very dear to our hearts that we support the cyclist Alliance. And, um, and that's why we've, we've partnered with black sheep and we have this kit available that is, is a symbol of equality and is also our way of, of giving back and also representing the cyclist Alliance out on the road. So, Check that out. The link is in the show notes. And um, yeah, thank you so much for for all your support of the Cyclist Alliance. Should we briefly on the conversation of the Cyclist Alliance talk about the survey that came out yesterday? And then we can wrap up this episode. So a survey, the annual Cyclist Alliance survey was it released yesterday. And I mean... The results, we've talked so much in this podcast about the disparity between uh, the top teams and the rest of the women's peloton. And what the survey really showed was that the the gap between the top women and the rest is growing. I think it can be taken kind of, it is just between the people who fill out the survey, but Regardless, the number of professional riders with no salary at all increased from 17% to 34% in 2021. It's increased from 17% in 2018 to 34% in 2021, which is just massive. I mean, everything comes down to no minimum salary imposed on the continental con- continental <laughs> on the continental teams, which is something that I mean, you would hope that the UCI is working on that because there there's a minimum salary for the men's pro continental teams which is 
the step down from world tour or world teams and the women don't have anything in between. So it's just your world team or your UCI continental, but there's no, there's no minimum salary for those teams that are one step down from world teams. I think, yeah, just like the results of this always show that like the work that the TCA do, is so important, but it's always like a shame as well that, they're kind of limited to, you know, like they can't force people to answer the questions and like fill the survey out. And it's also kind of like, why does it take a union to do this? Like, and, you know, um, this is something we always go back to, but like, shouldn't the UCI be auditing this kind of thing? Now, as part of that survey, they talk about the audit that the UCI commission but they only looked into world teams which again is just like exactly what we were saying before like the disparity between like the, the UCI did this audit and it was like oh look how good the results of this are it shows everything's improving because yeah we've taken out like our whole section of the peloton for whom nothing has changed in fact things have gotten worse the majority, um, right? It's, yeah. it's sort of that. The majority of the peloton is like the survey shows, and those are the people that are joined in this this union. Actually, are the ones that really need this help, not the ones at the very top. And it's actually just like life. The it's <laughs> the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. In a sense, I, I don't know if there's any way of putting it, but that's definitely my takeaway point from this is. Um, we have been celebrating all the wonderful things that are happening to the World Tour teams, but how many World Tour teams are there opposed to to these, like you said, just UCI-registered teams? So it will continue to grow, and I think months ago we spoke about it. This was not just with, um, with this, the salaries and everything, but the racing. Um, these UCI teams that aren't World Tour, like – the amount of race days they have in a year is just, I think it was like, how many were there this year? 29 or something like that. Two point. So. Which that's still a little bit COVID related, but what's going to change when we come out of COVID? It's not like, you know, I worry about all of these smaller races and these smaller teams with no stage to show, show off, you know, when, whenever a race kind of takes a hiatus or kind of takes a step down they are they never are able to come back it's never happened no once so, a race goes away it goes away yeah. but on a positive note it was um on the weekend you could watch um both the balois ladies tour live and you could watch uh the tour de feminine so yeah and these are like Two point well, two point two is Tour de Fem- Feminine, and then I think it was a two point one, the Balois Ladies Tour. So, um, that that's a very positive note. Yeah, definitely. Lisa Klein won the Balois Ladies Belgium Tour overall at the end of the race. Joss Loudon won the Czech stage race, the Tour de Feminine, by she won the final stage by five minutes solo. Five minutes solo, which. She's just having such an incredible year, and I am curious if she's 
sign for drops again for next year if she's going to get picked up by a big team because that's kind of what keeps happening at drops. They keep having one really good rider and then that rider gets scooped up and uh, she's, I mean, I she's on our radar and I would assume she's on other teams. Uh, she's on teams' radars as well. What's really interesting though is that she's been pretty vocal about how she actually wanted to stop riding this year um I did interview with her and she said that she's actually looking at like going for maybe like another year but she wants to have kids and yeah so it will be interesting to see what she does because she's like I mean on a smaller scale it's like Anna van der Bregen right she's on amazing form but she's adamant that she's actually going to retire but I guess Joss doesn't really achieve all the things that she has so I mean yeah, we'll see. She's supposed to be doing the hour. Well, she is doing the hour record attempt at the end of this year as well. Um, but yeah, whoever let her go on that last stage, I mean, she's an epic time trialist. So bad call, bad call. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> How old is Yoss actually? She is like thirty-three or something, thirty-two. I'm not sure. Early yeah. 30. So that's that's a hard call if you want to start a family. I mean, it's not like she's earning hundreds of thousands where she can afford to, to like, have a family and have a full-time carer or something for her child while she's pursuing this endeavour. Um, it'd be a shame if she, if she gave it away at the end of this year. I think she's just, like, coming into herself almost. Like, she needs to stick with it and at least have another year and, it would be awesome if she could hold out to the next Olympics, to be honest. I How annoying was it actually, though, that there was, like, no women's stage racing throughout all of, like, May and June, really, and then we had, like, three going on at the same time. It was pretty annoying. You'd think that they would, like, maybe space, that, space those out. I mean, I, I feel like there's so much that can be done with the calendar to make it so the smaller races still have some big names that are able to show up because when the big teams are at those smaller races and the, and riders like Joss Loudon are able to kind of perform, then that's how the, the riders on smaller teams get picked up by bigger teams. And that's how the washing machine effect of cycling kind of works out and teams, you know, pick up new riders and riders progress. And then teams are the smaller teams are able to pick up development riders and and that's you know that's there's a whole chain of effect that happens and when three races two races are going on at the same time as the Giordana I mean that just means that many of the teams weren't able to be at those small races which takes we're not taking anything away from the wins of the riders at at those smaller races of course but you want there to be like more cohesion in the calendar in order for more riders to be able to, to do these races. I mean, SD works was at the Belois tour with only four riders and I mean, they, they still want a stage with Lana Kunikin, but they, you know, it, it is, it, it, it is a bummer that, that we had this massive gap of no racing and then like, boom, all of a sudden three races at once. During the Tour de France, too, which uh, I the covering the Tour de France, it just it's it solidifies to me that 
when the Tour de France is going on, there should just be a gap in the women's in the women's calendar for that whole three weeks where there's nothing, because it's always, 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 always just going to get completely forgotten about with the hype of the tour. It doesn't matter. I watch more women's cycling than men's. I honestly couldn't tell you like most things about men's racing. That's not true. I kind of have to follow it for work, but, but I know a lot more about women's racing. I'm more passionate about women's racing. I cover it more, uh, but I still, you know, could barely keep track of what was going on during the tour, just with how much the tour monopolizes everything. And so I think the, we, we spoke about it previously about the women's tour de France being the week after and how we didn't know if that was a good decision. I'm actually fully behind it now because they, they cannot overlap. The women will just get forgotten if they overlap. Like, no, we don't want any overlap. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Should we kind of, should we call it? We're. Yep. Thanks so much for listening to Freewheeling. We will be back next week with special guest, Gracie Elvin, to talk about the upcoming Olympics. Woo! (laughs) Hopefully Lauren's still with us. (laughs) Oh yeah. Staying there, baby. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much for listening. And uh, don't forget to check out the Black Sheep Kit. Link in the bio.